0: Like a lot of churches in the book of Revelation, Pergamum was doing some things well, but they were compromising. And their specific area of compromise was doctrine, but doctrine that had a connection with sexual immorality or sexual compromise. This is so apropos for our day and age where the church is feeling pressure in these areas. We're going to dive into more about Pergamum's compromise today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to the Walk in Truth weekend program. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Jesus says to this church, chapter 2, verse 13, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my witness, or my Martus, we'll talk about him in a second, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Now, if you read commentaries on the book of Revelation, there's all kinds of conjecture about the throne of Satan. What does this mean? Does, did Satan literally set up shop here? Is this where he dwells? Does he dwell in Pergamum or modern uh, Turkey? What does this mean? And so people have said, well, maybe this is captured in the one of the seven wonders of the world, the Greek god Zeus, who was overseeing the city. Maybe Satan's throne being in Pergamum is captured by the Greek god Asclepion, the god of healing represented by the serpent. And others would say, no, maybe Satan's throne is in Pergamum because that's where all the emperor worship is going on and all this idolatry. But maybe it's a combination of everything that was happening in Pergamum. Amen. Maybe it's the fact that Satan had indeed set up shop in that neighborhood. And, you know, sometimes we we hear people say, you know, I don't live in a very good neighborhood. Well, try living in Pergamum. Try living in a place where Jesus says, you live where Satan dwells. Some of you may think that that's your neighborhood. I don't know. Maybe you think Lucifer's your next door neighbor. I don't know. (laughs) But this church was facing a place that we would call spiritually, extremely spiritually dark. Satan was in the hood. This was not a good place to live. This was a bad part of town. This was a place where there was a a terrible satanic stronghold. You've heard missionaries talk about going to areas that seemed extremely dark. And what they meant by that is that not it was overcast, but that some regions seemed to have more spiritual darkness than others. You can enter into some places, even maybe some dwellings where it seems spiritually dark, and you're like, what is going on here? What am I sensing? And if you've ever been in that situation, sometimes the the discernment of the Spirit tells you there's something wrong. Something dark is going on here. And those of you who have the gifts of discernment have maybe experienced that more than others. I know where you live. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. That's the kids upstairs. Don't worry. I think, I think they're having a good time. Either that or they're wrestling and somebody's losing. I don't know. And so I know where you live. I know what you're going through. Each time the commissioner of these seven letters addresses the church, he reminds them, I know what you're going through. I know where you live. I know the spiritual darkness that you are facing. I know the struggles that you have. I know where you reside geographically, and I know what's going on there spiritually as well, and that's good news. And he commends them. Often in these letters, we see a commendation, something good, you hold fast my name. Jesus is serious about his name. He says, you don't deny my faith, or you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, Antipas may have been the pastor at Pergamum, and the pastor at Pergamum was killed, probably for preaching the gospel in the city, Probably for telling people that idols that are represented in this city are false, they're lies of the devil, and Antipas paid the ultimate price, and the church then had to try to continue and go on, and deal with, you know, the fallout of losing. Probably at least, if he wasn't the pastor, he was some sort of major spiritual leader at Pergamum, and he was killed. And you could imagine the aftermath of that church trying to navigate their way after someone in leadership was killed. We don't know a lot about Antipas, but some believe his name means against all. He was probably one of the leaders at the Church of Pergamum. He is uh, named in a third century inscription discovered at Pergamum. He's also mentioned by the church father, Tertullian. And he's called my witness, my faithful one. Titles given to Jesus in chapter 1, verse 5, are applied to Antipas. This is how the Lord described him. He's my witness. He's my faithful one. Do you ever wonder how the Lord would describe you? Do you ever wonder what he might tell the angels in heaven about you? Well, sometimes we can automatically think of negative things, right? Most of us, our minds go there. Oh, I know what he's saying about me. (laughs) And it's not good. But I'm going to tell you, when we get to the end of this passage, that there's something here about a new name, and the Lord doesn't see you how sometimes you see yourself. We see the negative in us, but the Lord sees who you are in Christ and who you will be. Amen? As you come to full maturity in him. Turn to Psalm 63 for a second. Psalm 63. As David writes this psalm, he he writes a lot of his psalms in times of struggle, and even crying out for the Lord to meet him in spiritually dry places. I'm sure that the church at Pergamum would need encouragement like this, and maybe you do tonight. Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, thou art my God, I shall seek thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh yearns for thee in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 63, 2. Thus I have beheld thee in the sanctuary to see thy power and thy glory. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise thee. So I will bless thee as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember thee on my bed, I meditate on thee in the night watches, for thou hast been my help. And in the shadow of thy wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to thee, thy right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. We tend in our lives, Revelation 2, if you go back there, to focus on what's temporal, And we ask questions like this. I'm sure you do. Would I be willing to die for my faith? Would I be willing to make the ultimate stand for Christ? I live in America. My persecution is not too bad, if at all. Maybe you get a little persecution at work. Maybe a little bit at home. Maybe a little bit from a family member. But these churches were facing some serious stuff. And it's very contemporary, at least to those who are living in tough areas where Satan's throne seems to be set up, verse 14 of Revelation 2. After he commends them, I told you in most of these letters, there's something that he criticizes them for, and here's what he says. He says, I have a few things against you, verse 14, chapter 2, because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block, that is some sort of trap or snare or impediment, before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. Now, this man, this this idea of Balaam comes up three times in the New Testament. Write it down: 2 Peter two fifteen, Jude one verse eleven, and Revelation two fourteen. And this man, Balaam, comes up. What do we know about Balaam? Well, his story is recorded in Numbers chapters twenty two. 23 and 24. And I'll give you some little snippets of it, but I want to show you something in 2 Peter. So just a few pages back, 2 Peter, he brings this up in the context of false teachers. Here's what he says. 2 Peter 2, look at verse 12. 2 Peter 2, 12. But these, the context is false teachers, are like unreasoning animals. 2 Peter 2, 12. Born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge will in the in will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed second 2 peter 2:13 2, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong they count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime they are stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you having eyes full of adultery they never cease from sin enticing unstable souls having a heart trained in greed accursed children Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a dumb donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. Now, how many of you remember the story of Balaam and his donkey? We got to go there just for a second. Numbers 22. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Numbers 22. Take a look. I told you that his story is recorded in Numbers 22, 23, and 24, but here's what's going on, basically. You've been listening to the Walk in Truth Weekend Program. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Visit the Walk in Truth store today and get the DVD series in Revelation by Michael Lance. The book of Revelation reveals the person and work of Jesus Christ. This book will give you a unique glimpse into heaven and the worship that happens there. It also reveals the future. We see the Seven Sealed Scroll, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, the Mark of the Beast, and learn about the new heaven and the new earth. Join Michael Lance in these DVD series of the dramatic, often sobering book. Visit the Walk in Truth store today to order your copy of the DVDs, all available to help you dive deeper into the book of Revelation. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Remember, you can listen to today's program and previous ones whenever you want on our website, walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balin, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression, For a dumb donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. Now, how many of you remember the story of Balaam and his donkey? We got to go there just for a second. Numbers 22. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Numbers 22. Take a look. I told you that his story is recorded in Numbers 22, 23, and 24. But here's what's going on, basically. This guy's a prophet with the... uh, the king, Balak, wants him to curse the children of Israel, but he says, I can't curse them. God's not allowed me to. And look at Numbers 22. Look at, pick it up at verse 28. So he's he's heading on the road, and uh, he's kind of beating up his donkey a little bit. Look at 22, 28. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. Numbers 22, 28. And she said to Balaam, have you ever wondered, you know, this seems pretty fanciful, but... Uh, we see all kinds of movies today. There's talking dogs. Everybody loves a talking dog, right? Talking dogs are just, just so cool, right? Just tell you what's, what's going on and all that. Well, the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you've made a mockery of me. If there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey <laughs> on which you have ridden all, the, all your life to this day? Am I not your donkey? <laughs> have I been accustomed to do so to you? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord. Most scholars believe this is Jesus standing in the way with his what? Drawn sword in his hand. Now, I want you to think of the imagery of Revelation 2. Pergamum, the one who has the sword says this to you. The angel of the Lord is probably Jesus in the Old Testament. Here's a prophet wanting to curse the children of Israel, or at least lead them into idolatry and sexual immorality. And there's Jesus standing with a sword. Oh, there's definitely a connection. And the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, spiritually speaking. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary because your way was contrary to me. But the donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, I surely would have killed you just now and let her live. Well, how do you like them apples? You got mad at your donkey? Your donkey had better eyes and better spiritual discernment than you you did. I'm sure that donkey hopefully would have gotten really good treatment for the rest of her life, right? Right. Special donkey food, gifts at Christmas time, <laughs> necklace, Wilbur. I don't know. Anyway, go back to Revelation two. Sometimes we're going the wrong way, and the Lord confronts us with a sword. He says something like this: "You better get on the right road, because what you've been doing is blinding you," and. Your donkey saw me and you didn't. And you'd be dead if it wasn't for your donkey. (laughs) Wow. I wonder what Balaam thought after that encounter. Thus you also, Revelation 2.15, have some in the same way, and there seems to be a connection between the teaching of Balaam and the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which in chapter 2, verse 6, the Lord said he hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. In chapter 2, verse 15, he says, I hate the teaching of the Nicolaitans. What was Balaam doing? Balaam got Moabite women, if you read on in Numbers 24, and we won't go there tonight, he got Moabite women to entice the men of Israel to get them to commit sexual immorality in the pagan practices of the Moabites, to get them off track, to get them involved in pagan rites and festivals so that they would turn away from the Lord. And in essence, the prophet said something like this, and he was probably a false prophet, but he said something like this, I can't curse them, but here's what you can do to mess them up. I want you to apply this to your own life as a Christian. The devil can't touch you. You are protected by the power of God. Your salvation is reserved in heaven for you. But if the devil can get you to mess with the Moabites, if you know what I'm saying, and get you to compromise your faith and your walk, he can get you another way. He dangles the carrot. This is interesting. In Genesis 19, do you know where the Moabites came from? It was Lot. After Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, his wife's killed in the, in the uh, vengeance of God, and he goes, and he's probably in the caves near Qumran, by the way. This is Genesis 19. He probably is set up shop there, and it's, it's just his two daughters are with him, and they get dad to drink wine, and they get him drunk, and dad ends up being with the daughters, incest, and one of the kids that's born is named Moab. And if you look at Genesis 19, the story of Lot is all about the story of compromise. And he compromises, his daughters got him drunk and that's why this ended up happening, but he didn't have to keep drinking, did he? But his daughters... Gave him more and more and more, and they were with him. And they, they were probably with him because they may have thought, we're the only ones left on the planet. God just destroyed everything. We're the, we're the only survivor, so we have to be with our father so that there can be other humans born. That's giving them the benefit of the doubt, the way benefit of the doubt, by the way. But this is what happens. Lot compromises, and the compromise continues wave after wave all the way up, even till the days of Pergamum. At least there's a a connection there. Compromise in our life always ripples out, doesn't it? In one way or the other. And so we bite on the carrot and we think, oh, well, maybe this is no big deal or I can do this. I can play with fire. But the book of Proverbs says, if a man plays with fire, he's going to be what burned. You can't take fire to your chest and not be burned. And so the teaching of the Nicolaitans and the deeds of the Nicolaitans are captured um, along with this idea of the teaching of Balaam. It's probably all the same thing. And here's what it was. It's no big deal if you're a little lax on the sexual part as a Christian. It's not a big The culture, look, you live in Pergamum. I mean, look what's going on in the temples, man. People are, they're doing this, they're doing that. I mean, it's just the way of the culture. Chill out. Lacks a little bit on the sexual ethic stuff. As a Christian, do you really need to be pure until you're married? I mean, doesn't that seem a little bit over the top? I don't know, that's what my Bible says, but, uh, you know. But the culture is saying, lacks a little bit. Do we really have to be so tight on our definition of immorality? Do we have to be so tight on our definition of marriage? And so this has been the age-old problem. This is what the enemy says. He says, oh, we can, we can chill a little bit. You know, the Nicolaitans, they still say they're Christians. They just have a different approach, a different teaching. It'll be fine. It'll be good. But you know what? Compromises are never fine. And they're never good. And I'm sure that this room, if I called you all up one by one, and I would say, how did your compromise work out? Go ahead. I'm sure we'd have a lot of stories. Because it's little compromises that usually end up in big falls. And this church was facing it, man. And Jesus was saying, look, you're doing some good things, but there are other things that I'm not liking and this is the idea of this teaching that was going, going around, and it's captured in a word that scholars throw around called antinomianism. When we did the introduction to the book of Colossians, I told you about antinomianism. Namas is the Greek word for law. Anti means against. The antinomians were against the law. They said we shouldn't have any law. So there's been modern cults in the last 50 to 100 years that have been exposed And when the doors are open to these modern cults, you know what's happening behind closed doors? Sexual sin, usually from the top down. Usually some weird charismatic cult leader that says other men's wives belong to him. Do you know Joseph Smith did that in Mormonism? Joseph Smith said that the wives of other men who were part of early Mormonism he could have his way with them or actually steal them away and marry them for himself. I think at one point he had 38 wives. And then there's the Children of God movement or the David Koresh movement. When David Koresh in that cult was exposed, he was stealing other men's wives. And he was saying, she's mine tonight and you're going to do what I said because I'm the leader. Oh, oh, by the way, I'm Jesus Christ. I'm not sure if you knew that. No, David Koresh, you're not. And so, as time has gone by, people under religious banners start saying stuff like this. Oh, well, the the sexual ethics have changed. You got to get with the, the new ways of the culture, man. I mean, you guys, let's get real tonight. This is pounding at our doorstep. Many major denominations have thrown in the towel. They've thrown it in. And a lot of these major denominations stopped believing in the virgin birth and in the inspiration of Scripture. And now they're throwing in the stuff on sexual ethics and marriage. And it's, it's going. in conservative churches, and I'm not sure we should be called conservative, we should just be called biblical. Amen? Are becoming more rare. Well, I think on that note, you and I understand we live in a very confused time, a culture that is so confused about things that seem so clear to us. And, you know, because so many folks are confused and the church seems to be compromising on a lot of these issues, it's all the more reason for you and I to stand, to stand firm on the truths of the gospel. As the Apostle Paul did in his day, as Jesus did in his day, you know, every generation of the church has to take a stand. And we want to do it. We want to share the good news of the hope that we have with gentleness and respect. Well, hey, I'm Pastor Michael Lance, and I am so glad that you are listening to Walk in Truth in this new exciting series in Revelation. Now, remember, we have Walk in Truth online. We have a store with lots of resources to help you and your walk, and even a friend, if you want to get some resources for them, dive deeper into the Bible and the book of Revelation. Click on the store tab when you visit walkintruth.com. Walk in Truth is the audio ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California, and it is our goal to reach out with God's truth to all people. God has given us this incredible medium of radio and podcasting to break down God's truth, dissect it verse by verse, and apply it to today's issues, trends, culture, and of course, to our own walks with Jesus Christ. Now, keep on listening to this station, and whenever you like, you can subscribe to listen to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, iPodcast, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and many, many more. It's an exciting Uh, another way to get the truth out and get it into people's hands now come back on Friday because we're going to conclude the teaching in Revelation 2 on Pergamum's compromise and learn how we can avoid compromise and anchor our lives in the truth for the glory of God and the good of those around us until then tell a friend what you're hearing on this station invite them to listen and may God bless you we'll see them Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.